0: Alright, so listen up. Today's a little bit unique because today's episode is going to cut a little short and bleed into Wednesday. When Charlie and I started talking, we just kept going at it. Let me tell you something. Charlie Engel is the guy who ran two marathons a day every day for 111 days. You do not want to miss this episode, what goes into that, what's behind that, and how that happens. 322 for a throwing fire. The Imagine if every moment of every day was unscheduled, unknown, and uncertain. Where you had to choose between your life and the life of another. Where you were deployed somewhere in the world to face an unknown threat and an unseen enemy. This is the podcast designed to serve those who serve us. So join me as we unpack and uncover why we do what we do when we do it from life's most extreme moments. I'm your host, Jeff Fanman, and this is Mindset Radio. Welcome to your Monday morning. Listen, I want you to think about what it would be like to run two marathons a day for 111 days straight. Because that's who I've got on the show today, Charlie Engel. I thank you so much for joining me. I'm I'm I, listen. There's probably like a three page paragraph background <laughs> and uh, you know uh, stats we could get into, but you know I want to dive into this conversation with you uh, right off the bat and really look today at. I mean you you are the guy that it was insane enough to run across the Sahara desert. And now you're prepping to go from the Dead Sea to Mount Everest. And so we want to talk about kind of all of it in between. Uh, I want to talk about the book running man and, you know, let's dive into your life. Let's dive into a conversation here and to talk about like why one, why you would do this, uh, what it takes to do something like this and what you've done. And, you know, kind of the lessons you've learned from your own journey, because life hasn't been life hasn't been easy for you.
1: No, it hasn't. And Jeff, thanks so much for having me on. I, I laugh because usually I'm having to explain a lot of things. Uh, but your audience, uh, the kind of people that, that tend to listen to your podcast are, you know, are, are men and women who understand very well <laughs> what it's like to take on a challenge and that it's that from the outside things look crazy to other people and, right. and very often you know once you dig below the surface you find out that sure there is some you know there's some risk taking some some craziness if you will that's involved but a lot of it's very very calculated and it and it feeds that part of me that I need that I need to take care of because it, it's what makes me um, excited to get up every day and and go to work you know and that's that's just a big deal for me. So I'm grateful to have a chance to be on here and with the kind of audience you have to, you know, just have a good chat about, about doing hard things and what the, what the benefits and risks are.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the language that we're able to speak into, and this is kind of what I like about the show is we're able to kind of go at things and talk we don't have to like explain what intestinal fortitude is right we don't have to explain what it's like to suck something up because whether you've been standing a post for days or been in a firefight or you know had a crazy working fire been on the side of a mountain for weeks on end you know in california fighting wildfires or across you know half the united states as it's burning i mean the audience knows what it's like to to have to dig deep and you know, produce a result and get to a place and operate at a different level than, well, 99% of the people operate out there. And so, you know, I think it's been interesting. I love like you, you say in relation to your book, you know, I'm an addict who, who writes or I'm a, I'm an addict who runs and a runner who writes. Is that correct Did I get that right? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, let's 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 back up a little bit and talk about the journey to run, if you're okay with that. Um, Like how we got from Charlie Engel, who's done some pretty crazy stuff and spent some time in prison to Charlie Engel, who's, you know, running across the Sahara Desert and doing really cool things in your life and making a huge contribution to other people.
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I, I know for everyone's life, you know, it doesn't uh, things don't move in a straight line. You know, it's not as simple as going from point A to point B. It's all over the place. And, you know, and I, I am a big believer, though, in uh, one kind of central mantra that I use, and that is that it, it just doesn't matter what happens. It only matters what you do about it. And, you know, everyone, again, especially the people that listen to your podcast are, They understand the power of adaptation and of uh, having to find ways around obstacles or sometimes just understanding that the first step is to make a commitment to something. And once that commitment Mm -hmm. is made, it's unmovable, like it's an unmovable commitment. And, you know, you don't know where the path is going to lead but you do understand that if you will just get up every day and keep trying and keep going after that that end goal that the path will lead you to some amazing lessons along the way and i it is funny it is a cliche and we've all heard it a million times but it really is the journey you know the vast majority of the time getting to the end goal is kind of anticlimactic by the time you have finally reached it, you know, all the good shit has already happened, (laughs) right? So, (laughs) you know, so for me, look, I spent, I mean, the shortest possible terms, because I don't dwell on this part of my life too much. I mean, I talk about it all the time, but it's pretty simple. You know, I, I grew up, uh, a pretty normal, you know, kid, but I had alcoholics as parents and I had uh, a lot of that kind of atmosphere in my world. And, you know, and genetics are a bitch. And so by the time I went to college, you know, as a 17 year old freshman, um, you know, I, I figured out that I was actually an amazing drinker. And like, I could just drink, <laughs> I could just drink, I could just drink more than other people. Like, I, you know, I had been the you know, team captain of all the teams in high school and even student body president. And, you know, made good grades and I did a bunch of, you know, good high school stuff. And I, I got to college and, you know, thought that for sure, being the incredibly special person that I was that, you know, I was going to make a big impact. And, you know, I get to, I went to UNC Chapel Hill. Well, I I get to Chapel Hill and I figure out about two days that I'm like incredibly average and like all the other freshmen, you know, the 4,000 other freshmen that came in that year all had pretty much the same credentials I did. And, right. you know, they all made good grades and they all played sports and they all did all this stuff. And I just sort of I felt invisible. And, and what I what I wasn't invisible in was drinking. And it was just a, it's not something you want to be known for. But the fact is, it sort of became something of an identity for me. And and going through my 20s, though, for for me, you know, my other fellow students, you know, they drank the whole you know, two or three in the morning and maybe did some Coke and they did all this other stuff and they, and they managed to get up the next day and go to class. And, you know, for me, eventually that just stopped happening. And my Mm. college career was pretty disastrous. And, and I basically spent the next, just to flash forward, and get through this part. I spent the next 10 years kind of doing that exact same thing. I'd, I'd moved to Seattle or san francisco or los angeles or atlanta or all these places and for six months i would kick ass and i would be the top salesman at whatever job i had i would you know meet a nice girl and you know have a relationship and all these things would happen and then six months into it i would invariably i would say oh you know Surely I can have a few beers, or I could do a little do a little cocaine, or I could, you know, I deserve this right. because, right, you know, I'm working my ass off here, and and you know, and that would take me back down the path to losing the job, losing the girl, losing the everything, and then I'd have to move again and start all over. And so, you know, I spent it wasn't like I didn't know I had a problem, but I spent those ten years just trying to you know I, I would quit to try to save a relationship or save a job or save something and never was i trying to quit to actually like save myself like you know i wasn't doing it for me i was doing it for everybody else around me and that was just a yeah. recipe for disaster
0: yeah yeah i've done the same thing i mm-hmm. mean that's i i've I, you know I, i've never been able to do anything for anyone else successfully right i mean no. it's if it's yeah, not in you your tried. heart.
1: Yeah. Cause it's not like you don't have good intentions, but anyway, so I turned 29, my first son, my wife, I was married and my wife was pregnant and my first son was born and I'm like, okay, well this kid, he doesn't know it, but like, he's going to save me. Like he, he mm-hmm. is going to be my savior because I didn't want to raise kids in the same, you know, sort of destructive atmosphere that I had been raised in. Um, and you know, two months. And that worked for a while. And as an addict, you know, I'm holding this little baby and I'm feeling these immense, incredible feelings that I never thought I could, because as an addict, I just thought I was broken. Like I, I didn't get to have the same feelings everyone else had. And Mm. now there's this baby and, and I'm having, you know, I feel love for him and I feel his love for me. And I'm like, this is it. And, you know, but two months into his life, you know, There I am again, you know, in the hood, you know, smoking crack and, you know, people are shooting at me and, uh, you know, the police are going through my car and, you know, and it, and it was in, crazy thing is that was a six day binge that I went on. And at the end of that six days, I had like the clearest thought ever. You know, which was very simply, you know, no Brett can't save you. your son can't save you. Nobody is coming to save you. And you have to decide, do you want to live or die? And I actually put it this way, Jeff. It's like I had to choose between living and dying. And I chose running. <laughs> and, you know, and I went to an yeah. a. meeting that night. I went to an AA meeting that night and I got up the next morning and I put on my running shoes. And for the next three years. I did those two things every single day. And I made a commitment to go into an AA meeting every day and to running every single day. And I didn't ever miss a day. And slowly, my life actually started to change. And, you know, and, and making that commitment. And for me, it took two things. I, I couldn't just go to like AA and, you know, sit around and listen to a bunch of people, you know, bitch about being addicts. <clears throat> which isn't all that happens there. But that's how I viewed it back then. Right. And I also couldn't just run because while that fed the physical part of my my need, it didn't fill the like spiritual or fellowship part. And mm-hmm. and again, I think a lot of people listening to your podcast, you know, understand the the necessity for fellowship and for camaraderie and, and like being in something together with a group of people who understand what you're going through. And, and once I established that in those three years, then I could build from there. And from that point on, it was actually up to me. If I was hurting or I was feeling miserable or I was depressed or I was thinking about, you know, whatever, whether it was hurting myself or hurting, whatever was going on, I knew the answer. The answer had been presented to me. So then it just became my choice. Am I going to reach out and talk to the people who know me and who understand what I'm going through? And, and if I did, it would get better. If I didn't and I isolated and I shut myself off from those people, then my life would go downhill. And then I was at the greatest risk. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I began to understand that, you know, I didn't need to go to AA meetings anymore to not drink necessarily. I needed to go to the meetings because I needed to be around people who had been through what I had been through. And yeah. that was the important part. And and as long as I kept that at the top of my list and and made that a priority, things went well. And the minute I stopped doing it, things would always take a turn for the worse.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, you know, what the sense of tribe and community can do. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges of of the listening community for us. At different times, things will happen and we will either isolate ourselves from that tribe or we'll hit points where we don't know how to transition our tribe, right? If we retire or we leave service or we you know, kind of deal with things. That is such a deep-seated human requirement for really any level of success, in my opinion, that you've got to have people around you that can that can understand you. That's why we kind of bond together in a lot of ways. So I, I – and because that's what holds – because you can't do it alone.
1: Yeah, well, look, and the flip side to that, Jeff, is is you already know what the flip side is. That is you – also have to be the person who's there for someone else yes and and that's a hard you know that's also look i do talk about this all the time and i like to say it out loud it's a pain in the ass you know as much as i love dealing with people you know i have put myself out publicly as someone in sobriety someone who runs you know, and from the outside, I look like I've got it all figured out. Well, I go through the same shit everybody else does, <laughs> yeah. you know, regularly. And I go through my down times. And there are times when I'll open up my email and there's, you know, there's five emails from people who are like, hey, you know, I read your book or whatever it might be. Can you, you know, can you help me? I'd like some advice, whatever. And And I freely admit there are times I open those. I'm like, man. I just don't have the energy for this today. You know, it's not like it's, yeah, it's not like it's easy to be on the other side of it, you know, all the time either. But my, my point of all that is though, when you like, especially with people who go out of service, so to speak, which is a lot of the folks listening to this, you know, whether they're police or fire or military or whatever it might be. And hell, lots of guys and girls are all of those things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, multiple careers that, that have sort of attracted them to the same sort of tribe, as you said. And when that when that time is over, um, it can be a really difficult transition. And and I think that that is the time. Not only does that person need to reach out, you know, and stay connected. It's not about asking for help so much as that term sort of gets overused. It's about just staying connected. And the thing that I do, and I'll I'll give you a really tangible example. In AA, when I sponsor somebody uh, and they're new to the program or they've been in and out and they've relapsed again or whatever it might be, and they're saying, you know, what do I do? I don't have any freaking like there's no magic answer to that except (laughs) except for you have to just keep showing up. And so what I will do is take that person and, you know, next thing you know, they're the, they're the person showing up early and making coffee before the meeting. They are, you know, cleaning trash and putting the chairs away after the meeting and whatever. So the, the point being that quite often the person who has asked me for help, the way that I help them is to is to allow them to serve the community in some way. And and interestingly, instead of sitting back and like waiting for other people to help you, there are times when it just is better to to understand that you are being helped by giving yourself to the community, by giving your time and your energy to the community. And so, again, very often it's not weakness that that uh, hinders people or that that stops them from getting involved it's actually you know they feel like they're they don't have um, a strength that is going to be valuable to the community and and quite often it's just as simple as making freaking coffee man everybody drinks coffee you know so so come early drink coffee you know make coffee for everybody you know whatever and you're just you're just there and you're serving them and it changes your whole perspective You
0: are not kidding. I mean, Charlie, that's, it's, it's, I'm sitting here like in a little bit of reflection that that's, that's why I'm doing this. You know, I feel like I wandered for years without a community and I tried to inject myself into other communities, but was felt like an outsider basically. And when, when I really kind of looked around, it's like, well, how do I serve those? How do I serve them? How do I contribute back? How do I, what do I do now? And, you know, and it's been, it has been fulfilling to now be back. I feel like I'm home. You know, I feel like I get to hang out at the firehouse again and, you know, or sit in a team room and banter and and do these things. You are spot on. And I feel like we lose that lose sight of that at times. Like I can't, well, I'm done. So I got to go away somewhere. no, no, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm pushing myself back in. Like you guys, whether you guys like me or not, I'm here. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah. And yeah.
1: you know, and, and we look, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. The numbers don't matter whether you, you know, no. whether this podcast that you and I do together, if whether, and I'm, and this sounds cliche again, but if there's one freaking person out there that hears it and makes a decision to do something differently, I'm cool with that. You know, I hope there's, I'm at least thrilled one. with that. Yeah, I'm thrilled with that. But here's the other piece of it that I tell people all the time. I'm not doing this necessarily for you. This sounds like it sounds selfish. Um, Yeah, I have this conversation for me because it is the way that I stay connected with my own emotions, with how I feel, with um, understanding that if I don't keep having this conversation, I actually put myself at great risk uh, for at a very minimum for being unhappy or just being an asshole Um because oh, which I know
0: nothing about.
1: Yeah. Right. right. It doesn't always have to manifest in some kind of crazy, you know, behavior no. like addiction or even suicide or some of the other terrible everyday things that happen. Very often it just it just manifests and being a dick and being like not nice to the people around me who are closest to me and not. um yeah. Just not being able to function well as a human being. And and that's on me because I know what the answers are and I have to choose whether or not I'm going to take the action, you know, back to running real quick too. you know, the yeah. flip side. Because, again, I think every so many people who listen uh, to you are athletes and whether that athleticism was around like running or triathlons or mountain climbing or rock climbing or whatever is almost irrelevant it's still the everyone in certainly in the service community around police fire military has been very often forced <laughs> to to have to do physical activity whether they wanted to or not and right if they're honest with themselves like they may say i hate running like that may be this mantra going through their head i hate running i hear it all the time i'm like well I get that. You don't actually hate running, though. I would submit that, you know, being outdoors, feeling good and, and feeling healthy and breathing in fresh air and like, you hate those things. And they're like, no, I don't hate, right. So you hate the physical act of running. Like you, you hate how running makes you feel, but you don't hate the benefits of running. If you could just get all those other benefits, you would take them, right? And people always say, yeah, of course. I'm like, okay, well, you know, So maybe it's not going to be running for you. Maybe it's going to be just going out and walking or, or doing something. But people neglect too often the two different aspects of, of their, as I see them, two different aspects of life. And that is, you know, emotional well-being and physical well-being. And you, you can't just focus on on one. You know, like I used to go, I went to a therapist when I was early in sobriety. And I still go once in a while when I when I feel the need but that person couldn't help me if I wasn't also taking the steps to help myself. And, and for me, that step was to get out the freaking door and go, go break a sweat and go, you know, do something with other human beings out there that would, you know, get me out of myself. And I, I didn't want to go out there and talk about being sober or how I, you know, screwed over some relationship or how, you know, I have, I, I, it isn't all, I think people worry too often that therapy and all this stuff is always about digging into the deep, hard stuff. It's not, it's, it's about just showing up and being able to have a conversation about sports, about your relationship or whatever, but just about normal stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just having, just being in the conversation. Yeah, you know, I had a totally an, an interesting talk, and I like this. And I, I, I made a comment to somebody one day. I said, listen, I said, running is kind of the result if you look at it this way. The action is putting your shoes on. The action is stepping oh, out the door. The action is stretching a little bit. The action is putting one foot in front of the other. The run is the result, right? Running yeah. is kind of the yeah. result. There's a series of actions that, that get you there, and by taking – You know, if I, if like for myself, if I think about running, it's like, oh, i got to go run. But can (laughs) I put my, can I put my tennis shoes on? Yes, I can put my tennis shoes on. Can I go downstairs? Yes, I can do that. Right. So like bite size aspects. I mean, so, you know, how do you, so the Sahara run, uh,
1: yeah, I don't recommend starting there, like in your running <laughs> career. But, well, and look, dude, every everybody loves the benefits, and and people people assume that because I've run so much, they assume that I love running. Look, I love where running has taken me. I've run in you know over fifty countries. I've I, uh, but it's not running as much as I like as stopping. You know it it. It feels good to go do something physical and then stop doing it. That's when you get the endorphin release. That's when things feel good. But, you know, the other the other part of it is, you know, I like to call it cultural exploration. So whether it's whether it's seeing your own neighborhood or your own city, you know, from the soles of your feet or it's going to, you know, another state or, you know, go to South America or Africa or somewhere and go for a run the whole world runs. And so it's a thing that everyone relates to and Mm -hmm. poor people run and rich people run. And, and, you know, it's just a universal thing that everyone understands. So for me, when I got sober, I was 29 years old and that's, you know, I'm 56 now. So it's been a long time ago. And what I did is I actually ran, like I ran 30 marathons in those first three years. Right. Because, I was searching and every time I went out the door, you know, I ran so freaking hard. It was like, I was trying to pound the addict out of me. Like Mm. if I could, if I could take a scalpel and like just cut that part of my personality away, everything would be all right. And it, it actually took running those three years to figure out that my addict was all the best parts of me. Like, the most painful part of me actually is exactly what makes me good at things. If, if I didn't have this addictive nature, you know, I probably would not have been good at anything. And, and so it took a while for me to figure out that I had to channel my powers towards good things. And as long as I didn't drink or do drugs, then my addictive nature actually served me really well. And yeah. so... So after those three years, you know, I started to just look at how far can I go? You know, I I wanted to see how far I could go. And I started running 50 milers and I started running 100 miles and I started running, you know, hundreds of miles across the Gobi Desert, the Atacama Desert, the, the Vietnam, the jungles of Vietnam and Borneo and mountain ranges across, you know, Ecuador and all over the world. And I just... I fell in love with this idea of just packing up for the next trip, going somewhere, getting out there and uh, pushing myself to a place, as I always like to say, you know, what I love doing is to push myself to that place where I want to quit and then find a way to go beyond that, find a way to push through that. Because most of the time when this is my opinion here, I, I try not to I don't give advice and I try not to state too many personal opinions. But this is one of them. The vast majority of the time when we make bad decisions like quitting something or like, you know, whether it's a relationship or, you know, whatever it might be quitting a race. Even it's it's because you're in a bad moment. And most of the time, if you'll just let that moment pass by. You know wake up the next morning it's like holy shit this i feel so much better you know and like that moment seemed like it was never going to end and it was ne- nothing was ever going to change and i was always going to be stuck in that place but you know i tell my own kids who are both in their 20s now i'm like don't ever make a big decision like when you're at a really high point or a really low point because those aren't real places they don't they don't actually exist they're anomalies and they don't serve us well if we make a if we make a decision in those times they they usually will turn out to be the wrong one. So I was in the I was in the jungle to get to the Sierra. I was in the Amazon jungle doing a a 7-day race across a big chunk of the Amazon. And this goes back to the mid like 2000 like 2005, 6 somewhere in there. And this guy <laughs> who I didn't know just said out loud, like I don't even know. He's talking to me. He's like, I wonder if anybody's ever run all the way across the Sahara Desert. And I, I look at him and I said out loud to, back to him, I'm like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. who the hell, who the hell would think that's a good idea? And, and I, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And when I got back to the U.S., I did some research and I figured out that no one. And, and look, first in the adventure world are hard to come by. And I, yeah. I figured out that no one had ever run all the way across the Sahara Desert. And I started to just tell people with no real proof that I could do it. I just started to say out loud that I'm going to be the first person to run across the Sahara. And, and I became this guy who every time you saw me, I was telling you the story of how I was going to be the first person. To run. And again, it, it just... I, I don't know. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I believed in the power of putting it out there kind of in the universe. And I'm going to make this thing happen. And This well, guy I think, who I, I know. Think there's,
0: yeah. There's a trait there. I want to, I want to jump in because there's a trait yeah. there that often, like we restrict ourselves from saying out loud something like that. But yep. in, in saying it out loud, we're, we actually, I I'm a firm believer and I may get you know yelled at for saying this as i As I have, but, but no one else can hold you accountable, but you, like, I just believe that, like, if you can't hold yourself accountable to your word or to your commitment, nobody else can, no coach, you know, you can spend millions of dollars on people around you. Nobody else can hold you accountable. And to me, the way you hold yourself accountable is by saying things like, I'm going to go do this and speaking it in a very consistent way. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm and with you would, on that. People yeah. would
1: say, people would say, when are you going to do it? And I'm like, I don't know. All
0: right, so listen up. This is kind of a unique episode because when Charlie and I started talking, we just went and went at it. So I've interrupted today's episode. We're going to pick it up on Wednesday, so make sure you tune in then. Listen, and by the way, stop by opmindset.com. I've got up and available for you my 30 Days to an Operational Mindset. Just swing by the website, opmindset.com, sign up for it. I will send you an email every day. It's a cool little conversation. It's a good way to start your programming and take a look at some stuff and, well, learn a few things. So thanks for listening today. I really appreciate it. Also, don't forget, swing by and make sure you join my Facebook group, that's facebook.com backslash groups backslash mindset radio, or just search mindset radio on uh, the Facebook groups. Come in, join it, get involved in the conversation. I invite all my guests to come in, and if they're not in right away, they'll be in eventually. And if you have specific questions based on the episode, you know, you can always ask them and, well, get really cool answers, and I'll be there. So let's have some fun. Uh, so, two things. One, get into this thing, get these emails each day. It will be well worth it. And two, come on into the Facebook group. So thanks for listening. Sorry to cut this episode the way it is, but tune in Wednesday. We're going to pick right up. I mean, legitimately pick up where we left off with Charlie and get right back down to it. Thanks. And we'll talk to you again soon.